When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Monday morning to you as we welcome you along. Bernie is sitting in for John Paul this week, so she's taking your calls at 0818-103-103. Text and uh, WhatsApps are open on 0862-103-103. We'd love to hear from you throughout the morning. And thankfully, we here in Cork, we've escaped the worst of uh, storm. Debbie can't be, same can't be said for the rest of the, the country. There's a report of more than 100,000 homes and businesses are actually without power uh, this morning, but both the status red and status orange wind warning that was in place for parts of the country. They thankfully now have expired. But there is a status yellow wind and rain warning for the entire country. And that does remain in place until uh, three o'clock today. Seemingly the highest gust recorded was 119 kilometres per hour. And that was in Knock in um, County uh, Mayo. Road users were still being uh, advised and warned to expect hazardous conditions on the road. There could be trees down anywhere across the network. So you, you do have to drive uh, today with absolute extreme care. And of course, all the schools and the preschools in any of the counties that came under a status red or orange. And of course, we here in Cork during the night came under a status orange uh, wind uh, warning. They've all remained closed. They've opened up just in the last uh, few minutes, 10 o'clock this morning. Now I know that did cause some uh, childcare chaos for families, but I suppose uh, safety must come uh, first. Now this storm, Debbie, was described by Aaron as a rapidly deepening uh, storm, but the good news is it's a short, sharp storm, so it's not going to stay around for most of the day. What's left of it now is, is moving over. It seems to be around the east and uh, particularly around the Dublin area and uh, that we should see the uh, last of it now. So uh, thankfully it appears that it left most of the counties here in, in the south virtually untouched, which is a little bit of good news because many, many parts of the south, and particularly here in Cork, are still recovering from the last storm before Debbie and that was Storm uh, Ciarán. And I've just seen actually 
in the last few minutes that Cork County Council have put up on X, formerly known as Twitter, that the Jersey cable car service has resumed as uh, normal. That was due to be closed all day today because of Storm Debbie, but it is now resumed and operating as normal if you need to use the Jersey uh, cable car. 0818103103. Just be careful when you're out and about. I mean, it looks quite pleasant at the moment, but you just don't know any trees that are loose or some trees could have come down over overnight or branches of trees overnight so just be careful uh, particularly if you're in sort of very rural isolated areas you never know what's coming up around the bend and as always if you come across anything share it with us so that we can pass it on to other listeners you can text our WhatsApp 0862103103 the cost of petrol and diesel making the papers uh, today with petrol and diesel importers are being accused of profiteering This is after what is being perceived as their failure to lower the prices they charge for supplying us with motor fuel and that's in response to a slump in the cost of crude oil. Experts say the fall in the price of a barrel of crude oil is not translating into decreases into the price of petrol and diesel that we pay at the pumps and it's now prompted one consumer body to accuse the industry of profiteering and that's something the industry always hate to be uh, accused of saying it's failed to cut the prices and it's the Consumer Association of Ireland. Their chairman Michael Kilcoyne at the weekend uh, has also called on the European Union to carry out a probe into the oil industry right across the block to see who is making a profit and who uh, isn't. Now, there had been talks that the price of a barrel of crude oil would go to $100 a barrel. And that's always the point which, you know, causes worry for everybody. And we all see a spike in the price that we pay at the pumps. And there was talks of that uh, a number of uh, weeks ago. But rather than go up to $100 a barrel, it went the other way. And it's now fallen and it's at around $80 a barrel. Michael Kilcoyne said the crude oil prices are dropping, but they're not coming down for the consumer. He says the retailers, he does accept that they're on a tight margin. So he said it's further up the line that there must be profiteering going on. And as he also called on the EU's competition uh, directors to look into the industry and he's backed up by the AAA Ireland's Blake Boland He's quoted in the papers today as saying that the slump of the price of crude was not translating into lower pump uh, prices, which you should be expecting to see. Now, he says part of the reason, though, he's not pointing the finger at blame at industry. He said what you have to remember in this country is the fact that the government takes half of the price of a litre of fuel at the pumps, be it in tax taxes or be it in duties. Now, petrol did fall slightly. It went down two cents uh, across last month. This is the, to the average of 183 and diesel prices at the pumps on average went to uh, 185 uh, last uh, month. But the AA are saying we're seeing crude oil prices falling, but we're not seeing a corresponding drop at the pumps. Now, obviously, the, the other side of that argument uh, comes from Kevin McPartland, who is the head of Fuels for Ireland. And they're the body that uh, represents the fuel importers, the distributors and the retailers. He completely rejected claims that the oil importers are, the distributors are profiteering. He said absolutely not. He points that the margins on fuel are low and if you speak to any garage owner, 
they will tell you they make more in a cup of coffee than they do on you filling up your petrol. So those margins are low. He says that we are one of the most competitive sectors in the country. He said prices are displayed on huge boards outside every petrol station. Yeah, and we all see them. And I think the point that Kevin is missing, we're looking at those prices being displayed on those huge boards outside every petrol station, but we're not seeing them falling uh, enough. Kevin McPartland said refining costs were very high at the moment. He says it's an energy intensive activity. Shipping costs, he says, have shot, shot up, particularly since everything that's been happening in the Gaza Strip. He also is pointing some of the finger of blame to the government because he says there was a two cent increase in carbon tax. Now that came in in last month's uh, budget. That would have put up prices at the pumps. And it's not just the extra two cent in carbon because remember the carbon goes up and then there's VAT added on to the carbon tax, which I know leaves a lot of people scratching their heads, a tax on uh, a tax. He says that the pump prices have started uh, to fall. He said between three and four cents in the last few days. And obviously that three and four cents that is falling is not being reflected in the survey results because obviously the survey results that AA Ireland are talking about would be for the month of October. And, you know, I have to give it to Kevin McPartland of Fuse for Ireland. He is right. There has been a small uh, decrease, certainly Probably in the last week, I got uh, I got a fill of diesel yesterday, and it was down at one seventy eight. I think I got it for one seventy nine, one seventy eight. I think it was at, and certainly it had been at kind of the one eighty four, one eighty five mark, and then suddenly it dropped down. So uh, maybe we're starting to see a little bit of the trickle effect of the price of the barrel of crude oil not going up to $100 a barrel, but instead having fallen to $80 a barrel. 0818 103 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862. 103, 103. And Martin says not all garages are reducing their prices. One garage in his area, 182.9. But the garages themselves will say they set the price at what they buy it in uh, from. And then somebody else says, Patricia, following on from your piece about the price of petrol and diesel, the price of coal on the international market is now $123 per tonne, even allowing for import costs. Surely coal suppliers, most coal suppliers are charged almost 40 euro per bag. Is that not price uh, gouging? Then I don't know what is. I've already heard of elderly people who have been taken advantage of. Yeah, the cost of coal has gone up, but of course there is carbon tax, isn't there, included on that as well. I don't know what the breakdown of the taxes on that uh, is uh, or not. But yeah, we regularly hear about people saying the price of coal compared to what it was, but then home heating oil has gone up, gas has gone up, cost of heating has just gone up completely. And it's all uh, to do with the rising cost of living energy is playing a huge, huge role in that. 0818 103 103. And a lovely text in from the organisers of a craft fair that I mentioned on the programme last week. Hi, Patricia. Thanks for mentioning and highlighting our first ever craft fair at Gertelassa Old School House that's out on the Sheeps Peninsula in West Cork, which took place yesterday. We had no idea how the day was going to go, but I'm delighted to report it was a phenomenal success. From the minute we opened the doors, the crowds flowed in. The atmosphere is so warm and cheerful and everyone was amazed at the standard of artisan crafts available. This success is all down to the combination of people who contributed on the day, the helpers, the stall holders, 
stakeholders, the bakers and of course the community who travelled from far and near to attend the event. Christmas shopping lists were being ticked off with the odd treat thrown in too, I'm sure. We'll do it all again on the 10th of December with different crafts available. So whatever is still on that Christmas shopping list, it'll be sure to be covered. Uh, covered. Thank you everyone. Well done. I love those little craft fairs that go on and you'll see a number of those craft fairs pop up right across the city and county and please go along and support them because you're supporting in the main, you're supporting local people in your area who have been busy little beavers all year working and getting ready for these craft fairs and selling their wares and there's nothing like getting handmade products either as the texture says as a gift for yourself or to give somebody else as a present. So well done. Uh, delighted to hear that it was a success and a reminder to you to let me know closer to the date because I'll, I'll well forget about it by the 10th of December. So let me know well in advance so that I can give it a shout out for you again. Bernie's taking your calls 0818103103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. And our street fleet have just been on with a traffic update to say that a truck has overturned on the N71 at the halfway roundabout and uh, people are asked to take care on a- approach. That's an overturned truck on the N71 at the halfway uh, roundabout and hopefully nobody's been uh, seriously injured there. Now, many people feel that Uber needs to be introduced as soon as possible in order to prevent more restaurants and more pubs from closing down. We simply do not have enough taxis here in Cork, especially in rural areas. Fine Senator Tim Lambert raised this issue last week in the Senate and he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. And you're welcome. Now, we do have Uber in Cork City, but it's only for people with a full taxi licence. Isn't that the case? That's basically it. I think the way it works in Cork City at the moment is it's basically just a a continuation of the taxi service under a different name. Um, which is totally different to what we really need to see, which is we need to see a complete different outlook or view regarding how we're going to service people regarding um, public transportation with the view of taxis in particular. Like This is a huge issue in so many parts of my world. Um, like if you go to a town like Kinsale Band and all you want to cast on bear, the ability to get a taxi late at night just isn't there. Um, Taxi drivers are working probably in the afternoons because that seems to be their kind of work profile at the moment. And what I believe should happen here is that we should kind of deregulate the market so the opportunity for people who want to work maybe the night shift or the evening shift can have the opportunity to do it. But I'm not saying that we should not have them guard vetted, but we just need a different approach here. So the Uber model works that you have your ID, you know who you are, you're able to drive a taxi. And then you can actually work in these locations. Yeah, um, and we're, we're like, not reinventing the wheel here. Uber works no. so successfully in so many other uh, countries. It is just so difficult to answer the question why we are so slow to roll it out here. I met the actual, um, I met the CEO of the National Transport Association uh, last Wednesday in Dublin in a Rockdale's briefing, and I put this entire issue to her. And she totally agrees 60% of the taxis are in Dublin. It's a real rural area. She has no solution, bar to say that she's not willing to look at Uber, 
which is totally logical in where we're going to go. Like these towns and villages need to have access. People want the opportunity to socialise, want the opportunity to go out, but they also want the opportunity to come home safely. And I think pedestrians walking home late at night is a danger, and it really is, and I do it myself at times, I have to say. But it, it is an issue that we just have to say, the opportunities that are there for number one, for a person to earn a few extra pounds, yeah. what it would do for society, what it would do for the entire economy, it's a, it's it's the game that we need to start talking about. And yeah, and there are there are people who like the idea of signing up for Uber because they can work the hours that suit them. And it is a way in a cost of living crisis for somebody who might have a full time job and might decide, well, I'll also do Uber runs on a Saturday night and still have, you know, the nine to five Monday to Friday. And it's a way of earning some extra money. Absolutely. And maybe if you're a young lad in college and you yeah. want to work those weekends, it does tie into that entire circle of trying to keep everyone going. But, like, to me, it needs to be a complete change of focus here. The focus has to be about the ability for these small towns and villages to survive. 60% of the cabs are in Dublin. It works. No point saying it doesn't. Down here, it doesn't. And because of that, there needs to be a different approach. I don't think the National Transport Authority have got to grips on it yet. I don't think they've realised the impact that it has, number one, on society. Number two, in the economy. Like, this is going to have a huge issue for us in this because this thing sorted and we're running through Christmas period here now and we'll all be out on a Saturday night out or Christmas night out the big issue now is but even before you go out is how you're going to get home because the, the options aren't there at the moment and like there's towns which are quite large as villages as well which have no option you either get a designated driver you either get your mother or father to come in and pick you up or you just do not go out and that's basically where we are at the moment and I think that is a really poor reflection of the actual national policy. What needs to happen here is they need to deregulate it. They need to look at the areas where there is no taxes and all working. They need to look at what can be done. And in those locations, then the Uber model needs to be brought in there. And that then would involve the opportunity for a young man or woman to have the opportunity to make a few extra pounds, society would be better off, and our tourism trade, which is so important to us. It is really important to us in outside Dublin that we have the opportunity for that tourism trade to, to actually blossom and move forward. I can't At even begin to think how, how tourists must be reacting to discovering that they can't get a taxi. Like I was talking to a publican, I won't say where now, last Saturday week in one of my clinics and he ends up driving everyone home that night. Oh, and like God. with frustration he came into me. It was like God's day, what is happening like? Because in that village, there was nobody running. The nearest, he, he rang the taxi. The taxi one, he can come next Saturday night. Do you know? <laughs> Literally, like, yeah. he drove everyone home himself. So it is the biggest issue that we have. And like, do you know, So businesses, and businesses are being affected by this. We are seeing oh, the closure of rural pubs. We're seeing restaurants uh, closed down. I was speaking to somebody at the weekend while I was out having some food and they were saying that uh, it's people are coming out early and it, it's this taxi. They can't get a taxi later on. So if they're depending on a family member to collect them, they can't expect a family member, you know, to wait up late for them. So everyone's heading out earlier. So it's affecting trade. Completely. The economic impact of this issue was huge. And like we've certain towns in West Cork with no taxis service on a weekend night because of the actual snare that people just won't. Because a taxi driver can't make money in the, in the reality that, you know, he can work every hour of every day. 
and he can do enough hours during the day to keep himself going. The Uber model gives the opportunity to a part-time person to come on board to make that few extra pound and the knock-on implication is that he provides the service that they And fills that gap. Did, did we lose, and, by the way, Tim, did we lose a number of taxi drivers because of the impact of COVID? Yes, yeah, we got a graph on that. Significant loss of COVID taxi drivers. It has come back up again. But the real problem is that our majority, 60% of them, are based in Dublin. The other 40% are based around Ireland. So that's where the deficit is. And then when you look at towns like, or the cities like Cork, all the way through to Limerick, all these other places, they pick up a majority of them. In our part of the world, we actually have very, very few taxis, and that's our biggest issue. Yeah, and of course, the the other side then, if you don't get a taxi, someone will say, well, what about public transport? Um, but we don't have adequate pu- bus services, particularly at night, and that's just leading to uh, further isolation. Yeah, and public transport works to a degree, but unfortunately, public transport doesn't work to what we're talking about. We want a, a service that can get you from literally from the door to your door. Mm. Like, I'd be slightly, I'd be uncomfortable myself if I dropped off half a mile from home to walk with my home, do you know? So, like, I just think, like, this is a completely different service. There's a deficiency in public transport? Absolutely. There really is, and I totally understand that. And we're slowly building up routes around Ireland and around West Cork to, to help that. But this is a slightly different issue because we need to make sure that people can get home safety. And that pedestrian safety issue is huge. Like the amount of pedestrians who unfortunately got killed in our roads in the dark hours of the day and night are huge. And that's probably one of the key issues that we just need to start talking about as well. Uber solves that. It gives people the opportunity to get into your car, to get into a vehicle and to get dropped to the actual destination safe. And like we're not reinventing the wheel. This is, happens all over the world. We know exactly where it goes. We know how it works. We know the benefit to the economy. We know the benefit to society. And it's about making sure that our tourism trade, in particularly in those kind of months that are under a little bit of pressure, can actually survive and move forward. And because we don't have that taxi service, because we haven't that investment at the moment in Uber, we don't have that actual service to make sure people get home safely. Yeah. And if you were to go out on a Saturday night to any pub in, in Ireland, it's the one issue they'll talk about is how we're going yeah, to get yeah, home. Yeah, as I say, I was out on Saturday night and it became a topic of conversation with a number of uh, a number of um, different people. And I know Cork County Council this has been raised at council level on count many, many times. And earlier, it was either earlier this year or last year, I spoke about the rollout of that local Hackney service. I know there was 21 rural areas uh, were going to roll it out in, in this year, 2023, and it was Newmarket was the area that was Selected for Cork. Do you have any idea on how that's going? I got no real feedback from um, from the CEO of uh, National Transport Authority about that because, like, that was an incentivisation of giving tax drivers basically lump sum to get involved in yeah. working more. It was a grant aided program. Uh, indeed, I think it was six thousand euros per year. Yeah, I spoke to her about that last Wednesday, and uh, she was slow enough to come back with the actual results. She said she would get back to me in time. I actually don't think they've actually quantified exactly how successful it was. And I think that's probably where they are. They're doing pilots pilots after pilots. And it comes back to the real issue. We know it works. This works in every country in the world. I don't know, understand why we're spending money in a pilot project when the real issue here is that Uber works across the entire platforms and it works in particularly across the entire Western world. So like we know really the solution here. 
And I don't understand the issue that she has regarding uh, the guard of vetting. Like she came back to me again saying guard of vetting is an issue. Everybody in the platform can be guard of vetted. Mm. We can walk through that scenario. Yeah. And anyone putting themselves forward as an Uber driver is not going to object to be guard of vetted. It's, you know Absolutely. what I mean? It's like when you become and a taxi driver, right. you get guarded vetted. But uh, by the way, just to finish off, um, Tim, what reaction did you get when you raised this issue in the Senate last week? I think I got universal approval, and particularly from this, yeah, from the centres around Ireland that are in more rural areas, because I kind of touched a nerve by accident. I think everyone affiliated to the issue. It's an issue that everyone's talking about. And I think it's one of the key issues that, you know, it affects everybody in rural Ireland in, in particular, that they don't have the ability to get home. But now, unfortunately, it affects so many people in our, in our actual towns where the service just isn't there either. Yeah. OK, I know it's an issue we'll definitely uh, come back to, uh, Tim, but well done for uh, raising it. I can see a lot of people by text uh, saying we need Uber and we need it so badly. Listen, thank you for that, Tim, and thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is West Cork, uh, Fine Gael Senator Tim Lambert on the need for Uber. Your thoughts uh, welcomed. Are you being, are you affected because you can't get a, a taxi? And it's very understandable for taxi drivers if they can make their money during the day. Nobody wants to work. The hardest probably shift is doing that late night uh, shift uh, when everybody wants a taxi at the same time. But if we simply don't have enough uh, taxis at the moment and certainly if you even go back to say 10 years we would have had way more taxis on the road than we have today we've had an increase in our population uh, base and we have less and less uh, taxis would you be in favour of Uber operating throughout a Cork City and County your thoughts welcome to 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 Cork Today on C103. Now next uh, Saturday, Awesome Training. It's a Cork-based organisation are hosting a special neurodivergent session for parents and carers who are waiting on a child's autism diagnosis. Awesome Training was founded by Eveline Welton, who lives in Bandon and Eveline was diagnosed as autistic as an adult in 2014. And I'm delighted to say that Eveline Welton uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Eveline. Good morning, Patricia. How and, are you? I'm very well and, and great to talk to you. Is it a very difficult time for parents when they're waiting to try to get that official diagnosis of autism? I think it's very stressful for a lot of parents and they don't know where to go for information and there's just so many different kind of, so many different types of information out there. Some of it's conflicting. Um, I suppose we're just in a period of change where what we thought five years ago was not the same as what we think now. So, you know, I suppose that's what we want to alleviate for parents is like, look, <laughs> we're all autistic, everyone involved in awesome training. Um, we want to give people like those, the best, the most current information right now. You know, so that's that's kind of the whole point is to relieve some of that stress, you know, and worry for parents. Well done. And our waiting lists for assessments, are they as long as ever at the moment? As, as far as I can tell, yeah. And even privately now as well, I think there's, there's waiting lists in the clinics as well, you know. And parents know deep down that their child has autism, but they just need to get that official diagnosis. Yeah, I suppose. Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose, yeah. That, that's, I suppose a lot of the time it's just a confirmation, isn't it, what a parent yeah. already knows. And I suppose that's what we say to parents. It's like, it doesn't change anything. The child is the same. Yeah, <laughs> with, with same. or without the diagnosis. But but without a diagnosis, are, are they? do they feel they're in limbo? 
I, I think so. Um, I suppose that there's a couple of things. I think there are kids who, who do need support, who, who might who might need that diagnosis to get maybe uh, an SNA, or who, they might need occupational therapy or something like that. But there's also then this kind of idea that like every autistic child needs therapy, and I think that kind of creates drives stress for parents. Whereas actually, a lot of autistic kids. You know, you don't need therapy just for being autistic. And I suppose that's a really big message we want to get out there to people, um, you know, because autistic people have our, our own way of communicating, our own way of playing, and it's all very natural and very normal parts of human diversity. And more and more, that's what people are embracing as opposed to kind of seeing it as wrong mm. and trying to change it. So I suppose it's just if autistic kids can develop along their own trajectory, you know, they have a different outcome, I suppose. Um, so it's just... Get, getting that message out there that uh, not every autistic kid either is going to need therapy and sometimes that's what the, where the stress comes from because parents are worrying about like what to do where to go um, are there are they missing is, you know the time that they're waiting are they missing out on interventions and all of these kind of ideas are in parents heads whereas a lot of the time actually you know we just need to let a child allow them space to develop yeah, yeah. Allow, yeah, allow them to be themselves. Is, is, exactly. Is, yeah. Okay, talk us through and outline what will happen at the session next Sunday, which, by the way, is on in Ballyfahan Community Centre. And it's a free session, I believe. It is. It's a free session because I look through our work. We're meeting lots of parents. We, we train professionals and we go to schools and we're just hearing all these stories. And I suppose we just really wanted to do something. So we want to reach parents you know, look, at, at this early stage, so that, I suppose, that stays the kids and themselves get the right kind of information and the right support. So, yeah, our day is from two to five, so, you know, like that, it, it, we're very relaxed and informal, you know, we, we like to create a welcoming atmosphere. Um, it's a chance, I think, for parents as well to connect with other parents, which is always important, I think, for people to share stories and, and share their experiences. But we'll be talking, so I'll be there with two of my other um, trainers, who are both also autistic parents and, you know, we'll be talking about autistic play and communication, I suppose, is my own special interest and social skills and that kind of area. So I'll be talking about that. And then also understanding your child's, like, sensory profile, you know, because things that might upset them, things that they might love and how to, you know, uh, I suppose, discern that. So we'll be looking at that and giving parents lots of resources, like where to go for further information or groups that are available, Um and just like was knowing how to, a lot of the time it's, it's, it's uh, helping parents to advocate for their kids as well, mm. maybe with schools, um, you know, kind of, I suppose, the right questions to ask, you know, what, what they're entitled to, all that kind of stuff as well. So, and there'll be lots of time for people to, you know, ask questions because I find parents always have a million questions at this stage as well. So Yeah, it's, it sounds to, great. Yeah. It sounds great. And I love the idea of that peer support, you know, meeting others who've, we're walking the road you're now walking in and just, you know, to meet up with other parents. There's, there's Absolutely. great support in that, isn't there? There is. Nobody wants to feel alone. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah. Just, we just, yeah. So, I mean, if that's it really, it's just about supporting each other and people having, you know, good information and a good foundation starting off, um, you know, because it makes a big difference. And that's what you find. Peer, parents who come across like autistic-led information, you know, get very different outcomes with their kids or they have very outlook, different outlook on their kids. It's just very much about accepting your child's autistic. What does this mean? Uh, you know, and how do we change the world now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> so and t- tell us a bit about Awesome Training, which is spelled A-U awesome, S-O-M-E, it's a, a clever play on words there. Yes. Uh, ch- <laughs> t- tell me how you and why you why you set it up. 
Yeah, I suppose it, it, looked, it was a lot to do with my own journey. Like, I, I, as you were saying earlier, I found out nearly 10 years ago I was autistic and I was looking for all the information and I was going to conferences and reading books and, and the entire internet and all of that. And I suppose it, I came across the autistic community and autistic researchers and current research and websites and, and conferences and places that were sharing, like, the very most current research and ideas. And there was a huge gap, like, there's a huge gap between... between the medical model, I suppose, and these kind of outdated ideas of autism and, like, where we are now, which we, I suppose, we would call our approach neuroaffirmative, neuroaffirmative therapies, neuroaffirmative ideas, neuroaffirmative approaches, approaches. So there's a huge gap, really, in knowledge, I think, and it takes something like 20 or 30 years for the, the current research and current thinking to kind of filter down through all of our systems, let's say. So... You know, I suppose for me, I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, I'm a bit of yeah. a doer. So <laughs> I just thought, this is this is ridiculous. Um, so I wanted to, I suppose I was learning so much and it was changing my life, you know, and I wanted to share that with others. So, you know, that's what we're doing. We're just giving people the information that's out right now and they have it right now, as opposed to waiting, you know, another generation of autistic kids for them. To and and what, what type of training do you offer and to who? Yeah, so we have done some work now with the HSC. So we Great. have like a, yeah, <laughs> we're trying to change things from all angles. So, yeah. you know, we've designed our parents' course. So it would be the very first, um, like, autistic course that's been designed. And I suppose this is a big problem is that a lot of the stuff that's out there hasn't actually been designed by autistic people, hasn't included autistic people at all. You know, it's kind of based on uh, other people's ideas or theories. So we have a lovely program called Who. So we've trained some of the teams now on the HSC uh, throughout the country with that, and we're hoping more will come on board. So then parents of newly diagnosed kids, they get our course, you know, which is up-to-date and it's autistic-led and it's rights-based as opposed to maybe something that is maybe outdated. Um, so And we also have a fabulous course for um, professionals who work with autistic adults, um, like in mental health in particular, um, and we do we do that online, and it's, we've run we've run our third round of it now, and it's absolutely fantastic because I suppose a lot of autistic adults might not know, like myself, they're autistic, yeah, and they might be going to a mental health professional who also might not realise that this person is autistic, um, you know. So I suppose, and you know, there's a unfortunately, like our mental health staff are quite shocking. Like over eighty percent of us have anxiety. We're talking about sixty percent. Uh, depression and about 36% PTSD. That's in autistic adults, like as a general population. So like they're high the figures. They, they, are, they are high. Uh, and of course, you know, yeah. as you say, you got you were diagnosed 10 years ago uh, as an adult. We certainly are hearing more and more adults getting diagnosed. And in many cases, it's because their child might get diagnosed and then they start to realise I'm the very same. I, 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 yeah. I, I do. And that's happening more and more, isn't it? More and more. I mean, yeah, it is. it's just kind of becoming very common. Like, I think 10 years ago, it was quite unusual, particularly for women. And I suppose I find this as well myself. Um, if I'm talking to parents, the moms are always like, it's the dad. It's <laughs> the dad. And I'm like, well, you know, women are autistic too. And I suppose like there's been a huge movement and understanding around that in the last 10 years as well, because they used to think it was like just the boys or just for, you know, men, which was kind of just a sign of the way the research was, was done. They just researched boys, you know what I mean? So if you're just researching boys, then that's all that you're going to find, I suppose. And girls, um, girls are better at covering it, isn't it? Well, I see, I suppose it's just different. Like, I mean, autistic people of all genders will will, will mask the thing yeah. to protect ourselves. But I think it's just that 
people don't actually understand like um, what it is to be autistic in the first place. I suppose you're talking about somebody who's very sensitive, you know. So that sensitivity, I suppose, maybe girls might internalize that a bit more, or you know, if they're trying to like we're kind of raised as people pleasers, aren't we? Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> be quiet. <laughs> don't upset anyone. And but, but what did it mean to you to get the diagnosis? Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was huge. It was life changing. You know, I suppose like it was an answer to a lot of questions I had. You know, so it was just like, oh, it explains so much. Yeah. But I suppose the journey really started after that when I, you know, started to realise that like there's just a whole community of people out there. Um, you know, and that there's just a whole wealth of, of, of information and people sharing their lives on social media a lot of the time, you know, just trying to change the narrative that it's just so negative around autistic mm-hmm. people. Like, it's really negative. Like, there's a huge amount of stigma there, um, you know, that doesn't need to be there. I mean, really, I suppose that's what we're trying to say is, is just the world needs to kind of see more autistic people, first of all, and then be more accepting of, of the way autistic people are. Because a lot of the time... You know, particularly kids, what they're responding to is other people not understanding them. Yeah, that's it in a nutshell. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah. You're making a huge, huge difference uh, uh, with your organisation. You really are, uh, Evelyn. So well done to you on, on that. And your Thank event you. next uh, Sunday in Ballyfahan Community Centre. Do you want people to book or can they simply yes. turn up? Book. Yes, please. No, yeah, because it's limited seating. So, okay. yeah, they could book on awesometraining.com. And that's And it's yeah. AU or some SOME us uh, training and I know you have another one uh, coming up for anybody listening to us in uh, Waterford and that's happening on the 25th of November in St. Patrick's Gateway Centre but uh, continue good luck to awesome training uh, Evelyn and thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us today appreciate thank it thank you thanks very much good morning to you bye 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 lovely lady that is Evelyn uh, Welton who is in Bandon with awesome training. 0818-103-103 and that service, by the way, that session uh, that she's hosting in Ballyfaham Community Centre is a free service. If you'd like to go along and find out more, um, uh, please make contact with them. Uh, John Bernie is in for John Paul, taking your calls at 0818-103-103. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 0818 3103. Hi Patricia, I missed the location of the craft fair in West Cork that you said was held yesterday. Would you mind telling me where it was on? I have no problem at all telling you where it was on. It was on in Gertelassa Old Schoolhouse. Gertelassa Old Schoolhouse is about six miles from uh, Bantry. It's over the mountains from Ahakishta, Durris and Kilcrohan. It's out on the Sheeps Peninsula and it's one of those wonderful community organisations where the community took hold of the old schoolhouse rather than let it go into Rack and Room and they've turned it into a community centre. I'm sure they held, they hold concerts there. I think you can hold up to 100 people but I love when communities get together and they see we have this building rather than let it go you know, into disrepair, let's do something with it and do something with it that benefits the community and certainly the community were benefiting yesterday from that craft fair that was held at uh, Gertelassa Old School uh, House. So it's out on the Sheeps Peninsula with another one to happen on the 10th of uh, December which the Deirdre when the organisers has promised she will uh, remind me about and if anybody else is having craft fairs uh, you know particularly ones that's local artists and producers let us know so that we can spread the love and let people know that it is going on and of course as we've been doing for the last couple of years I must well give it a mention now if you're involved in any charity or community or voluntary event and you're putting together calendars 
as a kind of a fundraiser. We all need to buy calendars every year and it's a little bit like with Christmas cards. I'm always advocating to people to please buy charity uh, Christmas cards if at all possible. But it's the same with calendars. Try and buy a calendar that you know at the same time the proceeds of which are going to benefit either somewhere in your community or will benefit perhaps a charity that you have particular affinity to. So if anybody's involved with calendars, get a calendar into me so that I can physically have it in my hand. I'll be able to talk about it, try and describe it as best I can to people and also please put down the details of where the calendar is on sale and how much it is because every year we get calendars in and then we're trying to chase down people to find out where it's on sale and also how much it is. So if you've got any calendars or you're involved, it's got to be for a charity in our community or voluntary event you can get them in uh, to uh, Patricia Messenger C103 Majestic Business Park in uh, Mallow. Get working on that and as soon as we start getting the calendars, we will start mentioning them for uh, you. Now, we were talking about lack of taxi service and the need for Uber in the last hour to be introduced in this country. That's prompted somebody to say, Patricia, a lot of friends opt to take turns to drive their pals at the weekend almost operating like a private taxi service. How are they covered by insurance, though, if they're chipping in on the petrol? You see, I see. I, I, a, I don't think that's an issue. And absolutely, I would know friends of mine who do that. There'll be a designated driver and people will take it in turns. And it isn't a case of somebody paying the driver for driving them home because, as you say in your text, they opt to take it in turns. So if you've got four friends and once a month it's going to be their turn to drive everybody to the venue and home, then nobody's paying for the petrol because when it's your turn to drive you obviously pay for the petrol or the diesel so I don't really think that is an issue at all but just somebody else when I mentioned Uber uh, where was this there was a caller in Dermot in the city says oh Patricia you're talking about bringing Uber into Cork Uber already operates in Cork City I did mention that during my discussion with uh, Senator uh, Tim Lambert but the problem is Uber which launched last no I think it was November last year so it's nearly a year a year in operation and when it launched in when Uber launched in Cork it was the third city it's already in Dublin and it's already in uh, Limerick but the sting in the tail is the only people that can operate Uber are people who have a full taxi license in other countries and remember there is 72 countries where Uber operates and over 10,000 cities it is private drivers work on the Uber platform but in Ireland we bring in Uber but we bring it in slightly differently we insist that the person must have a full taxi licence so if you do get Uber in Cork City it's a taxi driver you're getting our problem is that we don't have enough taxis. Um, so therefore Uber is a possibility. 0818 103 103. Thank you for your call Dermot. Now, what is going on with the South Dock services in Formoy? We've spoken at length on this programme about the South Dock services in Formoy and in particular that the Red Eye service, the nighttime service is no longer there. They can't get the doctors we're, we're told, but that they operate on the weekends and that they operate up to, I think, is it is it six is it eight, six to eight or six to ten? And after that, then people will have to go to the nearest South Dock, be it for Moy or maybe into the city. But listen to this uh, text has come in from a Formoy listener to say, Patricia, I'm a male in my 60s from Formoy. I suffer with an enlarged prostrate and the symptoms associated with that, one of which is urinary tract infections, which I unfortunately developed yesterday, Sunday, where I was in quite a lot of pain. Very high temperature, nausea, 
fever and chills. And anyone who regularly suffers with urinary tract infections, and I can put my hand up and say I was a martyr to them for many years, but touch wood, I haven't had one in a while. You feel miserable when you have a urinary tract infection. You really do. Anyway, this is what was going on in this listener's life yesterday. And I also, he said, had a headache from hell. So at 20 past four, Yesterday, Sunday afternoon, I decided to ring the South Dock service in for Moy as I was beginning to feel very, very unwell and I knew my symptoms were worsening. The staff in for Moy, who are an amazing bunch, took all my details and then a nurse rang me back. She said the only available slot for me to be seen by a doctor was at the Mallow South Dock service and told me the only one slot left there was at quarter past eight last night, four hours after I'd initially rang the South Dock service. She advised me to take the slot now as it would probably be gone shortly and said if your condition worsens as there's a danger of sepsis with these infections then I should go straight to a hospital A&E to make sure I wasn't alone in the house also. Luckily I had my wife here to drive me back to Mallow which, by the way, was a very tough journey to take as I was starting to feel so unwell. I was seen by an amazing doctor who, following tests, told me, yes, you have a very bad infection and a very high temperature, put me on antibiotics immediately. He was surprised when I told him that I'd rang Southstock in for Moy at quarter past four in the afternoon and he was surprised that I wasn't seen in for Moy as I was so ill and in quite, quite a lot of pain and discomfort. Plus, the infection was worsening the longer I had to wait for the antibiotic script. We further learned that patients from as far away as Rathcormac were also being sent to the Mallow Southstock service putting obviously further pressure on what is already an overburdened Mallow service who already cover a huge area back as far as the Kerry border to cover. I'm also wondering, Patricia, if anyone in the know can explain this ludicrous situation which put patients' life at risk when not being able to access the Formoy South Dock service forcing them to take the long journey back to Mallow. Can I also say a huge thank you to that doctor who was on duty yesterday who saw me in Mallow at 8.15 last night and who couldn't have been nicer uh, to us. Kind regards, a very concerned for my listener. That is just uh, truly shocking. I don't know what's going on. I'm really surprised to hear that it was on a Sunday because I thought the only issue was when it was in what they call the red eye service, the overnight service, that you would be forced uh, to go to one of the other South Dock services. But what a ludicrous situation for somebody to be that unwell, uh, to be at risk of sepsis, which we know uh, can kill, and to be told that if you're if you're getting worse, waiting to see the doctor at quarter past eight, then go to the A&E. I mean, we're, all, we're, we're constantly telling people, don't block up the A&E, you know, use the services that you have locally, use the South Dock services. And here's somebody who's trying to use the South Dock service so that they wouldn't be forced into an A&E, which was probably very busy yesterday uh, anyway. Uh, And having to wait from quarter past four until quarter past eight last night in order to see a doctor to get antibiotics that he knew the antibiotics then uh, would, would... clear up the infection and hopefully are on the mend this morning but it is absolutely crazy and it isn't just I think what's interesting also in that very lengthy WhatsApp it isn't just affecting the good people of Formoy who are forced into their cars to travel it's also affecting the people who live in Mallow and who use the Mallow South Dock service because obviously they're being put under huge pressure because I'm assuming when that gentleman got the last slot last night in Mallow if anybody called after that gentleman 
where were they being sent to? Were they being sent into a city South Stock service? Seems absolutely. It's a, it's a, it, it's a fantastic service when it runs and runs well, but it definitely needs to be uh, looked at. And of course, we know there is an added increase in demand for South Dock because we don't have enough GPs and that means when somebody moves to an area if they can't in sign up to a GP practice and when they become unwell they have no choice but they have to wait for the South Dock service to open in order to see a doctor so that's putting additional pressure onto a service that is already stretched. 0818103103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp as to 0862103103. C103 Jobs. Full or part-time HGV driver wanted for Kelco Transport. Full licence and up-to-date CPCs are necessary. You can call them at 029-70296. Full or part-time cattle truck driver wanted, preferably over 25 and also with some livestock experience. Email livestock at gmail.com. A builder's labourer is wanted for work in the Mitchellstown area. Own transport would be an advantage. Now you can ring, call or text or WhatsApp 86 and Hallisey and Partner Solicitors in Bandham, they're looking for a legal secretary. Minimum of one year experienced, please. You can email your CV to info at hplaw.ie or you can post your up-to-date CV to their office and they're based at 41 South Main Street in Bandon. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Patricia with your comments. 0818 103 103. Talk to me. Court today on C103. Well, Sinn Féin Senator Lynn Boylan is bringing forward legislation to ban the dumping of any usable products with fines for companies that do so. Lynn believes Ireland should move to introduce the ban rather than wait for any EU regulations to be introduced. Senator Lynn Boylan, uh, Sinn Féin spokesperson on climate justice, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Lynn. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. And firstly, I know you're living in, in Dublin. Did you get, we, we luckily escaped Storm Debbie uh, last night. Uh, were you very badly affected in Dublin? It, it's not too bad. It's very gusty, but I think we, we escaped the worst of us. I think uh, Galway looks like yeah, they got hammered. They got it. Yeah, they Yeah, yeah. yeah. So not too bad, thankfully. Yeah, we're still recovering from Storm Kieran, so the last thing we needed was Storm Debbie to, to hit us. Anyway, back to your topic. And by the way, I'm so thrilled to see uh, you, you, you talking about this because it's something that has irked me for, for so long. Now, I suppose to explain to people, you're not talking about products at end of life uh, here. These, in many cases, are new products. Isn't that the case? Absolutely. Brand new products. So either that they've been returned, someone bought online and, you know, it didn't fit or it wasn't the right item and it's sent back perfectly usable, brand new in its boxes or else just items that might be last season, um, including mobile phones, uh, laptops, iPads all of those sort of items, um, it's not illegal for companies to just dump those straight uh, to incineration or landfill. It just seems so bizarre and obviously a very simple solution would be something like what operates with the food cloud when supermarkets have items that they can no longer sell. They just donate them to charity. Why can't the same thing happen here? 
it, it beggars belief why why it's allowed to happen. And I think, as you said, most of your listeners would be shocked to know that up to 50% of items that are returned through online shopping end up being disposed in, the, in this manner. Um, and, and DHL have said that, you know, the companies they work with, 17% of companies use disposal as a means of dealing with their returns. So one of the, the reasons why they do it is because they, they can. It, it's legal. Um, it's cheaper for them, unfortunately. Um, then to donate them or to make sure that they're recycled. Um, so that's why the legislation that I had, I suppose, was to try and change that business model um, and put the cost back onto them, you know, so that these items going straight to landfill when there's people out there, you know, we saw during COVID children having to, you know, homeschool and many children not having access to laptops or iPads. And yes, companies are just putting them straight into incineration. So the, the, the truth is, it, it, it's legal for them to do it. It's cheaper for them to do it, so they'll do it. Yeah, and I think it's an important message to get out, uh, particularly to some of uh, younger people with fast fashion. And they're so into buying items online. And I know I was uh, talking with uh, a niece of mine who was buying three sizes of the one dress because she didn't know whether she'd need an eight, a 10 or, or a 12. And I said to her, you do know that the two you send back will more than likely end up, you know, either being incinerated in landfill. And she was horrified. I, th- I don't think a lot of people are aware of how prevalent this is. No, they're not. I mean, even when we, we first introduced the legislation, a lot of people on, you know, on social media were commenting and sort of saying this should be recycled. And, you know, they were thinking that as you were you know, you started the, the, the interview that these are items that are end of life um, or are broken. They're, they're not. I think most people are unaware that, you know, the level of returns and it is something, it's, it's part of their business model. Um, you know, they get things out very quickly when you buy online, but dealing with the returns is a logistic nightmare for them. But that shouldn't excuse uh, the fact that, they, you know, if they choose to go down that business model, then they have to plan for how they're going to address the returns. But I think it is important for the public to be very aware that, you know, as I said, up to 50% of the items that are returned are, are disposed of and never make it back uh, back out onto the, the sale floor. Here's another great reason to shop local, uh, Lynn, and keep it all in your community. Now, you spoke about not waiting for EU regulations. Are they currently looking at this issue? So there's negotiations ongoing at the moment um, for regulations, but they'll currently only cover textiles, so it would only be the clothing end of it. Um, so again, for me, the, the, the horror is the thoughts of iPads and, and phones and laptops going into to landfill or incineration because, of course, they have the batteries in mm. them and all of the, the finite resources that are there. And so the EU regulations wouldn't cover electronic goods. The, the negotiations are currently saying that electronic goods would be the next thing to be added to the list. Um, but we're looking at, I suppose, one, that it, the EU will only deal with textiles for the first couple of years. And also they want a delayed introduction for the legislation, for the regulations. So you, anything at the moment, we're hearing from the negotiations between two and a half years and five years before it would actually become law. Um, so the argument I was making to, to Minister Oshin Smith was France have already pushed ahead. Um, they did an expose uh, in 2019 and what they found was that uh, Amazon, that has these huge warehouses, were disposing of up to 3 million products a year. Um, so they just decided to move on the legislation and to not wait for the EU and, and their legislation covers all of the items. 
Um, so that's what the, the point I was making to the ministers. We should be bold. We should be like the French and not wait around for an inferior uh, EU regulation. Yeah, and I mean, we have Greens in government at the moment. You think, you know, they think they would be jumping all over this? Absolutely. I mean, we originally introduced uh, the bill as an amendment to the Circular Economy Bill. And I'm sure your listeners have heard a lot about the latte levy and the 20% yeah. on the cup of coffee. That's fine. That will deal with a, a, probably a problem that's more about litter than anything else because people throw away their coffee cups. But it doesn't. It just sort of beggars the mind if you're going to I suppose, waste so much political energy on a 20 cent levy on a coffee cup while at the same time companies are dumping brand new items uh, that could be donated uh, to, to families who are struggling and to charity shops. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me and I can't understand the logic of uh, the minister saying we'll just wait for the EU uh, to do this because, as I said, the EU regulations we know will not go as far as the legislation I was trying to bring in. And it couldn't be introduced at a better time, Lynn, with, you know, the cost of living crisis that we have. And and we know that uh, charity shops are doing very well at the moment, partly because of the cost of living crisis. I mean, there isn't a charity shop in the country that wouldn't welcome a donation of these brand new goods. Brand new goods, yeah, you know, and even like Dyson uh, products and everything. So things that are very, very expensive. But as you said, families are really, really struggling. Um, and, you know, the charities retail uh, group came out and supported the legislation last week, as did Voice, the environmental NGO. They've both called on the government to enact this legislation. So, as I said, they didn't oppose it, but the ministers were... Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. response to me was that they'd rather they'd work with the EU, um, which is very, very disappointing. Um, so we'll have to wait now for the next opportunity in the Shana to, re- to introduce it at the next stage. So I suppose I'd encourage your listeners to, to get in touch with their, their TDs and their senators um, and to encourage them to support the legislation because it, it, it's just it's morally wrong as well as environmentally wrong for these items to be disposed of. 100%, 100%. OK, listen, Lynn, good luck with it. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. 
Thank you so much for having me. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Sinn Féin, Senator Lynn Boyle. And as I say, I think a lot of people would be quite taken aback to realise the amount of items that are dumped, brand new items that are dumped every single year. So just be careful if you are buying online and um, all of the online stores now have, you know, make it very easy for you to return items. But bear in mind when you're returning the items that uh, there's a, a high possibility that that particular item will just go straight either into landfill or will go straight into uh, incineration. There's got to be a better way and you know and as I said to Lynn we've already done it with the food clouds that works really really successfully. All of the supermarkets I think by now are signed up to the food cloud and of course they help it goes on then to help families that are in uh, need but these are items these are brand new items that as I say charity shops would take the hand and all off you for brand new items which then they could sell on at a reduced price so it would be a win-win for everyone. 0818 103. Bernie's taking your calls. I can see you texting to watch out for a massive uh, pothole. Now, I don't know on what side of the bridge in Kiss Game because it's come up on a, a, one of those spell check, check things, so it hasn't come up properly on my side with the, the text, but it's on the bridge in Kiss Game. Somebody says this massive pothole has been there for a while. Is it not a job for a local TD or councillor to fix, uh, please? And I've started to notice this when I'm driving around. I mean, it's got a lot, I think, to do with how much uh, wet weather we've been having of late. There's a lot of potholes uh, appearing. And particularly, I think, potholes that have been dealt with have been filled in. And of course, you get a lot of rain on top of it and the potholes uh, appear and it can do a lot of damage to your car. So please be very, very careful when you're out and about uh, driving. 0818 103 103. Bernie continues to take your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. And time for our monthly insurance uh, slot. Paul Kavanagh from McCarthy Insurance Group uh, joining me. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. A lot of issues to get through uh, today, but I want to start with one that we've been talking about uh, only this morning when I'd Senator Tim Lumberton uh, calling for the need for U- Uber uh, to be allowed to operate to recruit uh, private uh, drivers because everyone, and I'm assuming you're the same in Formoy, everyone is affected by uh, a lack of uh, taxis. Um, what is your view on, on Ubers? Do you think they should be introduced and, and what are the effects from an insurance company's point of view? Okay, I, I, sorry, I, I, interest, I listened with interest uh, to Senator Lumbert. Absolutely fantastic. But he need, now needs to drive this on through government and especially through the Department of Transport. And that is, as we know, a green department. So we need to drive it on there and we then need to drive it into the insurance industry because there's a huge problem here. The taxi, the vehicles in this country are public and private. The public really, to put it in a nutshell, are the taxis. They're the public service vehicles. There's between 20 and 25,000 of those in the country. Some are part-time, some are full-time. There's a very strong lobby group behind the taxis that are constantly onto the government about keeping the taxis as taxis. Then there's private, private hire. That's a hackney. The difference between the two, the taxi can collect you at the side of the road, okay, or the taxi can sit in a rank, whereas the private hire must be booked in advance. So there must be a phone call to book it in advance for, for, the, for it to be a private operation. That's only a small part of the problem here. The, the big part of the problem comes that the private driver 
driving private service vehicles, as we call them, must be fully licensed as a, as a, as a professional. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a specific regulation. And then he must have the insurance to carry people for reward. And that is, at the moment, there is no category for that. He will play the same as a chauffeur, a limousine, uh, or, 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 a, or a private hire operation. And therefore, there is no incentive for anybody to go into this part-time. None. But, but Uber works so successfully in 72 other countries and yep. over 10,000 cities. We're yep. not asking anyone to reinvent the wheel here. We're asking for a system similar to other countries to be put in place. To put, and I, I would agree 100%. Use it more successfully in, would you believe, in, in Portugal. I was at a wedding there during the summer. Absolutely fantastic. Brilliant. Saved, saved us a number of times. Uh, However, the way that works then, as you know, is that it, Uber has to be established, mm. right? And then the vehicle, the, the insurance and the government, there needs to be a, speci- a specific category put in so that the regulations do not stop uh, drivers from becoming part of it and that they, it would be a special category within that group uh, I think uh, Senator Lombard mentioned about the, about the drivers being checked that's where the Gardaí come in. They do that currently for the uh, public service and the private service vehicles. Uh, there's a special department actually here in Cork that deals with that. Yeah. And then after that, there has to be a special category for the Uber part-time driver and then a part under his insurance. And there's none of that there at the present. There is no discussion going on. So that needs to be raised, as I said at the start, to the department and to the, actually to the cabinet level. And maybe yeah. it's something for the next election. And I mean, I, I wasn't surprised to hear, you know, Tim talk about the number of taxis that we have in this country, but 60% of them are based in Dublin. So that means 40% of the total number of taxis we have at the moment have to cover the entire rest of the country. No wonder yes. we, we, we have a problem on a Saturday night. Trying Absolutely. to get, and it's not even on a Saturday night. You can have, you can, you can have a problem in the middle of the day trying to get it. It, it. It's worse during the week. If I go out on a Thursday night, I can't get a taxi. Yeah, yeah. There might be one on or two on, but they'll be booked. And we're losing businesses. Where businesses are closing down. I mean, the hospitality industry has been hugely affected by this, well, and will be affected this Christmas. Yeah, a number of publicans are actually driving their customers home. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's the only way that they, because they know that the customers won't come unless they can get a spin home. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. crazy. All right. Now, let's move to other topics that we want to discuss uh, today. Uh, today And the, the road deaths, um, Paul, I've been talking about them so much on the programme over the last uh, few weeks. We're now higher now than we were for the whole of last year. Absolutely. 50 days to go. And we're at 166 deaths. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. Um, I suppose where I'm coming from on this is how, you know, how how do we stop it? How do we how do we cut it back at this stage? Uh, and and how do we stop cut back on the road deaths? The Garda Commissioner Drew Harris told the Oireachtas Joint Justice Committee last week that he wants to see 360 static cameras and average speed cameras put on roads, tunnels, etc. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, that, that, uh, that's where I'm kind of going, hold on a minute. No, that's a knee-jerk reaction. Okay, we support the penalty point system. We support 
everything attached to it. There's a number of listeners this morning who will say it's a revenue catcher, etc. Yes, there are times when I agree with that. Okay, but however, we must cut back on the debts. I would say this this is very similar to the Uber. This needs for a cabinet decision. This needs people to sit down and say, what are we going to do about this and what are the consequences? My big fear here is that if you start throwing penalty points at people from static cameras as well as the already go-safe cameras, you're going to end up in a right heap of trouble altogether because currently, and I've reported this to you before, Patricia, we have 74,000 people who have been disqualified for having 12 penalty points but haven't handed their licences up. And that tells me that they're driving around the roads uninsured or they're going to attempt to drive on the roads uninsured. And if we start throwing another, doubling up the number of cameras out there, we're only going to double that problem and maybe even triple that problem, which would be a serious. And we see it here on a daily basis, the amount of people that come in and oh, they don't tell you about their penalty points. They don't tell you they've been put off the road. They think it's actually that was a small thing that happened. But when a problem happens afterwards, in an accident, God forbid, uh, or an incident with the guardie, then that's when all it all comes out in the wash. And next thing it is, well, this driver was actually disqualified. Well, and does that the make their insurance null and void? Null and void, oh, Patricia. And that's the big problem. And then it yeah. goes back to the Motor Insurance Bureau, and then all our insurances go up again. So it's, 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 it's a circle. We need to sit down and we need to tackle these issues. We need to tackle driver driver's attitude to speeding in well, similar to the way we did it for drink driving. I'm not disagreeing with that, but I, th- I, th- I think putting static cam- cameras on, on the motorways and things like that, what is that going to do? It's, a, it's only a revenue collection. Fishing in a barrel. Fishing in a barrel is... Fishing in a barrel. I was in Spain recently. I had a hire car and I can tell you, I was told explicitly they took my home details and my home telephone number and my email address, the hire company, and said, if you get caught, we are sending the bill to you. You know that. So you better watch yourself when you're going in and out of tunnels, when you're on motorways, you and when, especially when you're in, in built up areas, you keep your speed limit down. And I did. But I have been to Spain previously and you just go, you're done for 100 euros. If you pay it within 20 days, it's 50. If you don't pay it, it doubles up and all this type of thing. And then penalty points start to come in eventually. What I'm saying here is we don't need a knee-jerk reaction. What we need is a thought-out reaction to this as to how we can actually get people to slow down. But but you're saying by your own admission, the fact you knew those static cameras were in place, you did slow down. And I mean, I and, and that's, I, I the, that's the theory that Drew Harris has. Well, if, if that's what he's going to say and if he's going to tell us exactly where they are, that's fine. In Spain, they don't tell you exactly where they are. They can be anywhere on the road. Uh, most of the people know the, the various areas. As I said, the higher people said to me, when you're in tunnels especially, yeah, or when you're yeah. in areas where it's, it's going from 120 down to 100, you'll see a radar sign come up, and then that's it. You, you come straight down and no, no missing. Yeah, because I think Dublin Port, the, the, the Port Tunnel in Dublin has static cameras, I'm sure, on the, and everybody knows, they're, everybody knows they're there. There was yeah. also a suggestion that on, ba- on bank holiday weekends, and I know this operates in Australia, there's a doubling of penalty points if you're caught. And that really could push somebody to lose their licence very quickly. Well, that, that, 
that is the big fear that I have. I picked up three penalty points some years ago, back down by the Silver Springs Hotel when it was 60. It's now 80. I have a grudge over that. I kind of go, it's 80 now, it was 60. You know what I mean? Why, was, why, was that, why did I get three penalty points? Because they decided it's now an 80 rather than a 60 or a 60 rather than an 80. That's very, I don't like that. Mm. And I think the public are looking. We want definite, if we have get definite moves, yeah, put the cameras on the motorways if that's where the problem is. Or You know what I mean? But, I mean, we had an accident at the weekend which shoved the, the debt limit up to 166 up outside the Red Cow. Yeah, it was, it, it was a car that was parked. Was he parked right, wrong? Who 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 knows? But that's not that's not a motorway. That was, yeah, that yeah. was not previously an area where you would have had a speed. A lot, yeah, are, are a lot of of, uh, no, of road fatalities. No. Somebody wants to know uh, when you do get penalty points, how does it affect your insurance premium? Yeah, well, that's a, a very interesting question. Um, usually, there's no real penalty until you reach six. Okay. As a rule of thumb, however, some companies give a discount when you have when you have when you have no penalty points. If then, if you get more than one or two penalty points, then you that discount will have from say we'll call it twenty to ten. And then, if you get six penalty points, you have zero. You go above that, and all of a sudden, you're in, you're then into your policy being loaded. So penalty points, and it's so simple to build them up uh, if you're not careful. And and, and I, I, a lot of guys come to me with they're on ten and what are they going to do? As you said, there's only one choice here: slow that pedal right down. Uh, and and how long do they remain in place when you get three them? Years. Is it that's, three years. That's my other well, problem. It's a long Trish, time. That's it's a, long, years, a long. And you have time. to pay as well. And and, and, and there is a fine. Well. And yeah, and there is a so fine. I have no problems with the fines going up. I'm just very wary of the penalty points that will just lead to a more a bigger problem at the end of the road. And when you're talking about that 166 people who've sadly, you know, won't be sitting around a Christmas table this uh, Christmas and families left devastated. Some of those road fatalities have been people on uh, e-scooters. Now, there's there's regulations. Are, 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 they, are they coming in or have they come in? No, they're, they're, I don't think they're, they're, they're not anywhere at the moment. They're stalled. Because they were signed into law in June, but, but that's, that's June, different but to them being in place. My my untrained eye at, at looking at those documents, it's it, totally unworkable from a Garda point of view. The Garda want to know how they can put these vehicles off the road when they're, when they're going illegally, when they're on... I've seen them on motorways, would you believe? I have a video of one on, on the Nace Jewel carriageway. I saw that, I, and he oh was bombing it. He was bombing doing great speed. I, 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 have been, I have been knocked over, uh, only a glance, thankfully, but the guy came off a, a, a pedest- came off a bridge onto the pedestrian pathway and then onto the road without even looking. Forget about me. He didn't look and went straight down the road and was gone a hundred yards before I could even try to get a description of who hit me. It's ridiculous. Do you think that people on e-scooters should have their own insurance? I do. I do. Uh, and they're, and they're not introducing I, that. No, they're not. The, so you see, there's two sides to the coin here. Uh, there's, there's the people who, who who buy these who want an easy form of transport, and they're they're easing up the transport service, which is all great. But there needs to be rules and regulations surrounding that. That if you push them too far into insurance and taxing them, which is what you have to register them and tax them before you can insure them. So before we ever get to that, which we're never going to get to then they're not road service vehicles. So how, how are the Gardaí going to operate 
with these vehicles. Yeah, they I, have, have nothing to operate with. The, the current law, as proposed, is unworkable. And they're talking about banning them for under 16s. You must be over 16. And I have seen children out on these uh, e-scooters. Uh, somebody said, would Paul, be against, would Paul be against parents buying e-scooters for children this Christmas? I would, I would be strongly advising it. If it was my grandchildren, I'd be saying, lads, please. But I mean, we said the same about motorcycles years ago. My grandmother used to have and said, don't, go, don't get up on a motorcycle, please. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So look, they, they are dangerous. They're fine when they're used as for kids, for getting around and all that. But un- unfortunately, they're not road vehicles. They're certainly not road vehicles. And I've I've seen adults on them with a child also standing on them, which which seemingly is oh, yeah. going to be and one of them. Two adults, yeah. and you know, it's 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 just crazy. And when you come off it, and particularly if you impact with a car. Yeah, we we know who's going to I come out the news are there. Four road deaths at this stage. Four of the road yeah. deaths are due to are due to east east scooters. East and there's been a number of accidents as well and injuries with people being knocked over, especially in built-up areas like Dublin. Okay, Texter says, uh, deaths on our roads is completely driver error and speed. There are cameras on the Jack Lynch tunnel, but they don't appear to be monitored. The majority of drivers do not adhere to the speed limit within the tunnel. You'll see them changing lanes within the tunnel, which they're not supposed to do. Nothing will ever stop the carnage on our roads while we have stupid drivers out there. Somebody wondering how much does Paul put down to just bad driving by drivers? Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I think we had that last month. Bad driving, of course it is bad driving. And and I agree totally with, with the previous caller who said, like, I mean, I've seen, I got through the tunnel, I was in the tunnel this morning, people switching lanes, without, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's a continuous white line. You do not cross it. Okay. As simple as that. I mean, I don't think speed is a huge issue in the tunnel. You know, I think things have improved in the tunnel with the new, with the new, with the new surroundings. People are not in so much of a rush because they've just had traffic lights or whatever. So that's all been very, very positive. I do. I, 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 I religiously now come down to the sixty, but I know this car's pushing me from behind, kind of going, move on, move on, because I'm doing sixty coming into the tunnel. There's no doubt about it. And that can be very intimidating. Okay, we're always over on time. Uh, we'll leave it there. We'll talk again next month, Paul. In the meantime, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Paul Kavanagh of the McCarthy Insurance Group. We'll keep your questions coming in for Annalise Drussell, our nutritional therapist, please. Uh, she joins us later on in this hour. John Bernie's taking calls at 0818103103. And I can see uh, some of your questions for Annalise coming in by text or WhatsApp as well. 0862103103. Some of your commentary coming into the programme this morning. Firstly, Listener says, like everyone who has a young relative travelling in Europe and beyond, I was praying for the safe return of Ryan Cooney from County Meath. I've just read this morning online and I hope this is true that he's been found. We've lost so many of our young people this year and please God, Ryan's story is a happy ending and I checked it out and it did. Uh, this uh, young Ryan Cooney, uh, 28-year-old from Delique in County Meath and he, he's been missing for the last four, four days on the Spanish island of Tenerife but it's been confirmed this morning that he has been found safe and well. He went missing last Thursday when he left the hotel he was staying in in Friends in Playa de las Americas and anyone's been to Tenerife a lot of Irish people go to Playa de las Americas so people will know the area uh, well. Uh, He's described as having two black eyes after an alleged assault which resulted in his money being taken along with his mobile phone. I know family members over the weekend to travel to Tenerife to try to help for uh, in the search of him along with friends in the local 
local police. But it's the charity at the National Missing Persons Helpline Ireland have confirmed this morning that Ryan Cooney missing in Tenerife has been located safe and well. So that's certainly I did spot that story uh, over the weekend uh, as well. And it's got to be every parent's worst nightmare when they have a son or daughter abroad to get a phone call to say something's happened or they've gone uh, missing. 0818103103. We were talking about the cost of petrol and diesel earlier on. Claire says, Patricia, it's not just petrol and diesel that's an issue at the moment. We recently bought home heating oil. I paid €1.18 a litre. That was after haggling, as they had originally quoted me €1.23. My sister in the UK also bought the same amount at the same time and yet paid only 70 pence a litre. I accept this tax and currency differential, but quite simply, we are being robbed in this country and the government, with their huge tax take, are allowing it to happen, says Claria. I recently got a fill of home heating oil as well and shocked by what we are paying for. But that is, even with the price difference... The currency difference between the pound sterling and the euro, that's a big, big difference. But you are right, you have nailed it. It's to do with the tax and the carbon tax and everything else that's added on to home uh, heating oil. Now, also coming into, uh, oh, we were talking about insurance, cost of insurance and speeding and how do we make our roads safer in our insurance uh, slot with Paul Kavanagh uh, earlier this morning. Anne in Ballantempus says, I was involved in a car accident last year. It wasn't, by the way, my fault. A van hit me and now my insurance has doubled and the other insurance company are, are refusing to pay up. How unfair is that? I'd be fighting that, Anne, if you definitely know that you were in the right and it was somebody else's fault. But yeah, uh, it is shocking. On e-scooters and e-bikes, Mary says, I was shocked to see a gentleman dressed completely in black clothes at the Carrick Tuhill roundabout last Wednesday evening. He was on an e-bike and it was a quarter past six when it was dark and he was dressed completely in uh, black. And Jerry in Glanthorn says, Patricia, all of this talk about speeding. Uh, Jerry's on the road for the last 40 years, so he drives and he drives quite a lot. He's only ever got caught speeding once, uh, but people on the road getting driving lessons and driving slow, slowly are slowing everybody else down. Jerry feels it's very irresponsible for driving schools to use the main busy roads for driving lessons. Also, people with trailers driving slowly, uh, they also hold up uh, traffic. So he's worried about slow and, you know, it is accepted as well that slow driving can be as dangerous as fast driving because sometimes what happens with slow driving is, you know, people try to overtake and they'll overtake and they'll make stupid decisions and they'll overtake on a bend or overtake on a continuous white line, for example. But I don't know about your argument with teaching somebody to drive. Jerry. we all learned to drive on busy main roads. They're busier now than, say, 40 odd years ago when you would have taken uh, your test. So I don't know how driving instructors, how they can teach a young person or any person to drive a car without bringing them out on the roads. And I always, I tell you, whenever... I'm driving and if I see somebody with an L plate in front of me, I always, because I still think back and it was many, many years ago I did my driving test, but I still think back to how nervous I was when I was getting my lessons uh, initially and I'm always conscious living in Mallow because we've got a test centre in Mallow. I'm always conscious that you could be behind a person who's actually doing their test. So I always give them a little bit of leeway. Okay, maybe it's going to slow me down and maybe I'm not going to get to my destination as quick as possible. But realistically, you know, what is it? A couple of uh, minutes. So, uh, yeah, 
I, I accept that slow driving and getting behind a trailer and large trucks and can be frustrating. But I, I, I think you're wrong to pick on the learner drivers. Those learner drivers have to drive, have to learn to drive as well. Actually, on learner drivers, I did see a piece by Harry McGee in the Irish Times today that an overhaul of the driving test curriculum is on the uh, cards. This is according to the chairperson of the Road Safety Authority, Liz O'Donnell. And she has said a move that will be seen as part of a response to the increase in the road deaths this year. Now, she's not saying what the overhaul is likely to be or how the driving test curriculum is going to change. But she did say the requirements to pass the driving tests hasn't changed now for more than 10 years. And she says that's despite significant changes in the driving environment in this country. She says there's been a lot of changes. Now, she does cite e-scooters and e-bicycles. They're so prevalent now and 10 years ago, they obviously weren't uh, prevalent. She also is talking about motorway driving is now a much bigger factor throughout the country and motorways mightn't have been available to everyone but we've had so many bypasses and motorways uh, built in recent years so she's saying you know all of that has to be factored in. Now the new driving test which was introduced in 2011 uh, was the was where um, and that was the first one since the previous version had been put in place and of course one of the big changes was that learner drivers for the first time were required to take 12 essential driving lessons with a qualified instructor before they were allowed to take the test whereas previous to that you got your provisional licence as it was called then it's now changed to a learner permit and you were able to get behind the wheel of a car now we know we need to have these 12 uh, people need to have the 12 essential driving uh, lessons and of course obviously she was talking about the number of road uh, deaths now reached 166 the whole of last year was 155 so Liz O'Donnell says it was her view that road safety had remained a key priority for the government despite the fact that there isn't a singular responsibility of a senior minister and there hasn't been since uh, Shane Ross left that post in 2020 but she says they're still very serious about road safety. She says there's a a 10 year strategy for road safety which was published in 2001 and she said that set out a clear path and had a full commitment of all departments including health and education as well as many state agencies. So she said there is a whole of government response uh, to this and that 2021-2030 strategy it undertook to have the number of road deaths within a decade. We're not off to a great start uh, this year. Liz O'Donnell said the strategy was strong, um, would require enforcement to ensure its goals of drastically reducing road deaths and to make sure they were achieved. But she also interestingly pointed out that drugs are now a serious issue and Gardaí are telling her that drug driving now is almost as bad as drunk driving. Driving, so that's another element that's causing a number of our accidents. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three, and I was talking about the South Dock service earlier with one of our listeners having a problem yesterday trying to get into South Dock in for Moy at four in the afternoon, had to wait until eight o'clock and then had to travel to Mallow and he was very, very unwell by the time he got to see a, a doctor and that led, led to people saying it isn't just South Dock, it's really hard to get a GP appointment and we don't have enough GPs. Isn't this? This is a really good text in to say, please, for obvious reasons, don't state my name. The South Dock issue is almost the same as getting a regular GP appointment but having worked in a GP surgery for 
for the last 22 years, I've seen at first hand the abuse of the full medical card. There are patients out there who will ring and demand to be seen once, twice, sometimes even three times a week. And we, the receptionists, can do nothing about it because if somebody tells us they are sick, who are we to say that there's feck all wrong with them? And nine out of ten times, there's usually nothing wrong with them. These people take a doctor's visit away from somebody who really needs it. I firmly believe that there should be maybe 10 free visits on the medical card. And once you've used up those 10 free visits, you then put a, a nominal charge, something like five euro, and you can be as sure as night follows day, the doctors will have plenty of appointments available. I'm not talking about patients who are genuinely very sick. We will happily give them appointments left, right and centre. I'm talking about the minority who don't work and almost see it as an outing to go to the GP practice. An example of this, one man used to come to our surgery twice a week. He then lost his medical card for some reason. We didn't see him for four months until he got his medical card back. If you're sick, how can you go without seeing your doctor from twice a week to not seeing them for four months? And it's not just because they have to pay. Our doctors always put patients' health above money. So if a patient genuinely needed to see a doctor, the doctor would scrap the charge. Sorry for my rant, but this just really gets on my uh, goat and you'll probably then be much more annoyed to hear and we're running it on our news uh, today that an extra 215,000 people are eligible for a free GP visit card and that's from today. All children up to the age of eight are now eligible for a free GP card alongside everybody over the age of 70, which means from today, nearly 850,000 people in this country can now access a GP free of uh, charge. This is the third expansion of the scheme that we've seen uh, this year after the cards were rolled out to children aged six and seven in August. And there's also, of course, been changes to the income threshold. They were announced in September. Now, there is one doctor that's been uh, quoted, a Kildare-based GP, uh, Brendan O'Shea, uh, and he's warning that many GP practices are finding it hard to meet demand. But he says it's a good thing and it is bringing us more in line with Europe and most other European countries where primary care, most general practice is provided free at the point of service. So he says it is a good thing, but he says practices are working uh, really hard. And as we're heading into the winter, it is going to be very, very difficult for people to get appointments. But what was interesting was when he was asked about this extension of the GP uh, uh, practice, um, he was he, when about the extension of the GP visit card, he was saying, look, they've also announced an extension on the number of GPs to be trained. But he says, remember, it takes 12 years to fully train a GP. And he also rejected claims that by giving more people a free GP card, that it leads to people abusing the system and visiting the doctor for small ailments, which is what our original texter was saying. He said that studies show when the free GP care was rolled out to children under six, usage went up by between between 20 and 25 percent. And he said that's a very small percentage. He said the majority of uh, people will only go to the doctor when they have to go to the doctor. And he says, yes, there'll always be a tiny few who will abuse it. But he reckons it is a very, very small uh, number. And he said cost should not act as a deterrent for somebody who needs to see a doctor. So he's very pleased with the extension. But will it mean 
that when you when you ring to try to get into your GP, will there be less appointments available? Only time will tell. 0818-103-103. Our lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Mallow Field uh, Club hosting military historian and author Jerry White that is uh, tomorrow night Tuesday he'll speak on the course of Ireland's civil war at 8 o'clock social services centre in Mallow admission just 5 euro also on tomorrow Cork Flower Club are holding their gala Christmas demonstration in the Rochestown Park Hotel at 7.30 tomorrow night Christine Hughes will demonstrate the holly and the ivy lots of hints and tips for creating a festive look all creations then will be raffled with proceeds going to the As I Am Autism Charity and Bernardo's. Tickets 20 euro please refreshments and you can contact them on 087 6283737. The AGM of Dara Community Council uh, will run which run the local community centre among other community activities takes place this Tuesday at between 8 and 9. All locals are welcome to come along to hear reports of the activities throughout the year and the plans for the coming week. And keep well, keep moving. That's a health festival for older adults will be held in Mallow GAA Hall on Wednesday from 10am to 3pm. To register, call 021-4928-370. Topics will include the Fair Deal Scheme, Singing for the Brain, Mindfulness, Brain Health and A. Cork Today on C103. Now last Friday, literally just before the close of the programme, I did a shout out on behalf of Joe's farm crisps in East Cork who were urgently in need of help to get beetroot out of the ground as one night's frost could destroy it. Now Nick Richards picked up the baton and went on to speak with Sandra Burns about this urgent appeal and Sandra rejoins me uh, today to chat about what she's described as an unbelievable response. Good afternoon to you Sandra. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm very well, thank you. I suppose, firstly, um, did you get all the beetroot out of the ground? That's the most important question. We did. Um, <laughs> we got everything out of the ground in four hours um, on Saturday. That's, uh, um, the amount of people that contacted us this morning to say, did that farm get the beetroot out of the ground? So the good news is... I, I got a phone call even at half seven this morning looking um, offering help um, all day yesterday. It's... The response has been unbelievable. I suppose take us back and explain why this urgent appeal went out and you've never had to do this before. No, we're 10 years in the crisp business um, next March and we've been growing um, all different vegetables and potatoes with years and this has been the first time that this happened to us. Um, we would normally have it harvested out in um, October and there was um, flooding obviously in East Cork in the middle of October, and that, being honest, really finished us trying to get back into the fields. Um, we were hoping that it would dry up and that the weather would change, and it was worse than it got um, because it was raining nearly every second day. Or, um, so the fields were are saturated, and it was just adding. Um, there, there was no way of, of getting the beaters out by the machines that we had. Um, the lads tried several times and unfortunately we weren't able to get it out so um, So you had to go back to the old fashioned way of pulling it out of the ground Yes um, <laughs> I didn't want I didn't want to put up that post on Friday but I suppose um, this is our busiest time of the year we are in gifted in the RDS in three weeks time 
our biggest show of the year ourselves. And um, then we have Christmas orders. We'd have hamper companies, hotels, as usual. Um, we we were left with no choice. We had to get. We had to ask for help um, because if we don't get that beaters out, that's the beaters for the full year. And gone. To, yeah, gone. Gone, it would be destroyed. And Next and my, yeah. my big worry when I was calling it out just for the close of the programme was the fact that you mentioned, you know, one night's frost could destroy it. And I actually, yeah. in the weather forecast for Friday, there was frost forecast. And I was thinking, oh my God, if they don't get it out of the ground uh, in, in time. So um, it was f- 14 beds of beetroot. I, I'm assuming that's a lot of beetroot, is it? It's an acre of beetroot. Oh, um, okay. So you couldn't do yeah. it yourself. You couldn't do no, it yourself, no. basically. Like, like to face into that with three or four people, like this, I suppose, like there's not a hope you'd get it done. Definitely not in a day. You'd still you, be it there. Would be probably weeks. Worth. Yeah, yeah. You, you would and, still be and there with the weather. Yeah, with the weather, then the way it is at the moment. Um, yeah, it was the only option we had to do was ask for help. So roughly, roughly, how many people turned up? Over six. Over 60 people, between 60 and 70 people, yeah, from all over, from Kilkenny, Tipperary, Limerick border, all over Cork. Isn't it It great? We were just blown away. um, And all of them with no farming, some with farming experience and none? Uh, Yeah, I think the majority probably had some farming experience or from the countryside um, because we were listening to stories down the field. The chats were unreal. like it was from people remembering childhood memories of either saving the turf um, from the bogs or from saving hay or like taming um, turnips. It was, they were, I suppose, going back in time, they were recalling memories. That's um, great. And then other people, first time ever on a farm. So you had, it was, it was just absolutely fabulous. And the weather was lovely. The sun was shining and um, we got like, the help was unbelievable. It was just a lovely feel good factor. Um, factor kind yeah, of for, and I was so I was so glad on Saturday when I woke and saw the sun shining. I was saying this is yeah. perfect for beaters pudding weather. So just it's just it's basically lean over and pull the turb, turn about to the ground. Is it is it is it done? Yeah. By, it's done by hand, is it? It's done by hand. Yeah, and you just take the tops off, the leaves off, and we were picking them into fertilizer bags and then putting the fertilizer bags into. Um, or potato tun boxes. So, um, yeah, it was quite physical work, but everyone, it seemed like everyone enjoyed just doing things. There was some women actually told Joe that um, they wanted to get away from the kids and the housework. <laughs> <laughs> and why not? <laughs> yeah. And others I, were asking to know were we making it an annual event? <laughs> I was like, I hope not. A day, a day out picking. And, and you'd feel, because yeah. you'd physically feel, you'd be exhausted after, but you'd physically yeah. feel good because because of the work that, that you were Definitely. doing. And and Barney tells me that neighbours and, and people in the local community were given offering of making sandwiches for the workers. Yes. Um, before, before I suppose I took it to um, our social media post. Um, I had sent it to our local J club, Killer J club. Um, sent it into the WhatsApp, and within five ten minutes, there was people uh, messaging saying, "I'll be there." And then there was others saying, "I can't make it, but I'll make sandwiches and stuff." But we had the the food side of things and everything sorted. Um, people offering to take our youngest daughter, um, Caitlin, to mine tour. So like it was. Everyone was thinking of stuff, I suppose, that we hadn't even thought of. So, yeah. but, um, yeah, the support was unbelievable. I suppose it, what we've learned from it is definitely to, whether it is a personal or a business 
any, any if you if you need help in any sort of areas of your life, um, just ask for the help. Well, and I know, Sandra, as soon as we mentioned it, we'd called in saying, where exactly is that? You know, what's that contact uh, number? And I think, you know, a day like that and a response like that, it kind of restores your faith in humanity when there is a need. People step up. I mean, that's what we're great at doing. I suppose, like, there's so much doom and gloom in the world at the moment. Like, it's it's, literally kind of as voice to the radios or the, the... the television show, um, because it's all bad news at the moment, but like it was when we had to ask for the help, the help came and like we could have uh, 10 acres of beaches and to be picked. Well done. You know, well, like, well done. Like from the amount of help and that was being offered and stuff, um, we were just amazed and we're so thankful and grateful to everyone, whether they just shared it on social media. Um, it, Joe physically came and just offered all the help. Just thank you from from us. It's like it's after saving our business, we've beat it for for the year because our beat is long. Um, it's not like the normal roundy. Yeah, I saw like, pictures yeah. of it. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. unusual. It isn't like I was assuming it was going to be like the round little beat roots that we buy we in the supermarket. That. You have that as well. We have we have five varieties of beetroot, but our main one will be the long one because it's easier to slice for the make into crisps. For the crisps. Yeah. And tell so me about Joe's Farm Crisps along your up and running and what kind of crisps do you make? So we're 10 years in business um, next March and we um, do vegetable crisps which is carrot, parsnip and beetroot and beetroot crisps and then um, mixed potato crisps which is pink, purple and white potatoes and we'll be bringing out two new varieties before Christmas and there'll be a trio of beetroot which is a golden beetroot a pink and white striped and the normal purple beetroot and then a plain white potato um, so well done and we, we love our crisps in this country yeah yeah and do I assume because um, I, I, I'm a big fan of crisps are they healthier because <laughs> they're made out of different veg they will be higher in fibre and okay. they, they are still cooked in oil um, to get the crunch. There yeah, yeah. Well, we wouldn't worry about that, but yeah. we will, we'll, we'll yeah. take the higher in fibre. That's the reason I'm eating them. Okay. All in moderation. And absolutely. And I, and where do you sell? Where where can people buy Joe's Farm Crisps? Um, we're, we can get them from our website, um, joesfarmcrisps.ie, or we're in stocked in Super Value, um, mostly in Munster. Um, we're in all kind of um, good artisan shops um if if anyone wants to just give us a message like if if they want to know where their local stockers is we can just give them send them back a message um but we're in hotels as well and um Okay, yeah. and it's and coming up to Christmas is the busiest time of the year. That's why it was so important yes. that this uh, beetroot harvest was uh, saved. So it was a good news story on a Friday that we follow on on a Monday. Listen, Sandra, thank you for taking time out to talk to us and continue good luck at Joe's Farm Crisps. Thanks so much. Thanks Take a million. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Sandra Burns. And well done if you were one of those 60-odd people who did a bit of back-breaking work. But it sounds like everybody who went along really enjoyed themselves. 0818 Aidan says, Hi Patricia, my hero Enya. I played Enya in Orinoco Flow a couple of minutes ago. According to Aidan by text, Enya is doing a world tour next year. I'm looking forward to it. She's a new album coming out all the best. I... I'm really taken aback when I heard Enya was touring because Enya has never done a tour. It's the one thing about her. She is she has sold over 
I think 75 million uh, records since her solo career began in the 1980s. And she's never once gone on tour. She was one of the voices of of Celtic uh, folk, uh, but she's never gone on uh, tour. So I'm really surprised here. And I've done a quick Google search and I can't find out anything. She's done some television performances over the years, but she's never actually toured. And I can't find out anything to say that Enya is uh, touring. She, I mean, she certainly does bring albums out, uh, but I can't even find anything about a new album. So Aidan, if you want to let us know where you're reading or hearing that Enya is doing a world tour because that will make for huge entertainment news because as I say the woman has never toured before so let us know where you're hearing that from please 0818 103 103 questions please for Annalise Drissel our nutritional therapist you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 0862 103 103 Can you talk to me Today on C103. And we're off to the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic where Annalise Drissel uh, joins me. Good afternoon, to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And I know you have a bit of a barking cough, so we're keeping our fingers crossed we'll be able to get <laughs> through this uh, slot. Let's get straight into questions. Helena has been on. Question for Annalise, please. Uh, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Taurine supplement is it good to take, please? And what are the benefits? T A U R I N E. So taurine is um, an amino acid, which means it's a protein, and we normally would get it from the animal um, foods in our diet. It does also actually come in, in vegetarian proteins as well, but it would be very much strong in the um, meats and particularly the organ meats. And taurine is a very uh, good one to take for mood and increased um, concentration and focus. It's a precursor to one of those kind of neurotransmitters that help us me feel motivated and calm. It's often recommended for kids with ADHD as well to help them focus and concentrate more. Um, so I think that would probably be the main reason that people would take it, Patricia, on its own. Otherwise, it's actually better to take um, it as a mix of different amino acids. There's a lot of people would take amino acids for muscle building, um, and I think it's better to take them as a blend then so you can make sure that you're getting absolutely everything. But it is a good one for mood, mostly used for that. OK, let's stay with uh, issues with muscle and pain. Um, could Annalise please talk about Revive Joint Complex? Is it any good? I've been taking it. Now, the texture doesn't say for how long, but I'm not seeing any benefits. I suffer with shoulder, neck and body pains. Am I on the right thing? Um, well, I would say that if you're taking it for at least two to three months and it hasn't made any difference, it's definitely not doing the right thing. Now, it's a very good product. It's a kind of a combination of things for the bones with vitamin D and K and the joints, collagen and glucosamine. And there's a few other really nice bits in there as well. And we do get good feedback on it for customers. Um, but in this case, obviously, it's not hitting the spot. So the question is, is where is that pain coming from? So they're saying shoulder and neck and back pain. So I think maybe is it even muscular? Is it possible that you pulled something? Is it a tendon? Um, maybe it is um, joint pain, all right for sure, but maybe there there is um, muscle stuff going on as well. So it's always horses for courses, Patricia. So the joint is definitely good for people who want to maintain their joint and bones. But um, I find a lot of people who've got pain, it's muscular, in which case you're looking at things really like um, magnesium is wonderful for muscle um, and anything that kind of um, helps with the, you know, damaged muscle or damaged tendons like rucks, 
rut of gravis, a great one now, if you've pulled a tendon, say, in your neck, or if you've pulled something. Rux Tox is very good. Or H-U-S-T-O-X, very good for pulled muscles. Arnica, very good for pulled muscles. So you could try something like that. The other thing I would recommend as well is possibly try an anti-inflammatory first because your joints are not going to be able to repair themselves if there's a lot of inflammation happening. So you're looking there at turmeric and boswellia being the most um, effective natural anti-inflammatories. So you could try a supplement like Nutri-Advanced. has one called Curcudine Forte. If you can't get that, I know the Soligar 7 has a similar blend of stuff, probably not as strong, um, but that can, that can be an alternative if you can't get your hands on the Nutri-Advanced. Um, we also get very good feedback on two particular joint support ones. One is by a company called One Nutrition, and it's literally called Joint Support. And the other one is um, Gal UC2 Cartilage. It's a very, very specific type of cartilage for joint support, and we get great feedback on that one as well. Okay, hi Annalise. I woke up, I would say it was about two weeks ago, with a darting pain in my hip and bottom area. It sometimes darts down my thigh. Uh, it's okay when I'm walking and I'm applying different gels, which help a little bit. I'm wondering, could it be sciatica? And if so, what would you suggest for same? Yeah, it could be sciatica. I suppose the best thing to do is maybe book in with a physio or a doctor and see what they would say. But a sciatica typically would have that type of sharp darting pain and very, very commonly referred by pain down one of the legs. And unfortunately, what the thing is with sciatica is that the nerve, the sciatic nerve has become inflamed or possibly even trapped between collapsing vertebrae and discs and as there's pressure being put on it. Um, so I think really you need to go down the full medical route for this. And there is an injection that you can get. It's actually into the periformis muscle of the buttock. So there's a big muscle in your buttock called the periformis. And if you get an injection into that, you can get amazing, amazing relief for sciatica. Um, and it would last at least six months. If you want to go the natural route, you're probably looking at taking natural anti-inflammatories. But I think that's like, I think that's like a butterfly's brush compared to the actual injection, Patricia. So that's the route I'd be going and that's what I'd recommend for Okay, and in Malice's high end, Lisa, love your slot every Monday. My problem is dry eyes. I'm in my 70s and I'm weary from putting sprays and drops into my eyes continuously as my eyes seem to be constantly uh, dry. Is there anything else I should be doing? Many thanks in anticipation, says Anne in Mallow. Dry eyes. Yeah, so it's actually quite common, Patricia, and very much so, I think, as well, um, with women after menopause. I think everything dries up, including eyes. So I know always would recommend that you, you put the fat in from the inside out, first and foremostly. And I would definitely take a combination of different types of oils, like, um, for example, the omega-7 from sea buckthorn are particularly good for mucous membrane health. So the mucous membranes in your eyes are the ones that will produce the tears and keep it moist. And then you could also take an omega-3 fat. Of course, the lovely advantage of the the omega-3 fish oils is that they do so many other jobs as well. They keep your blood lovely and thin, so they can have blood pressure, heart health. They keep your good cholesterol up. They are fantastic in terms of making your cells sensitive to insulin, so they prevent type 2 diabetes. And, of course, they're brain protective, so they help protect against cognitive decline in older age. So you're getting a good bang for your buck with the omega-3 fats and add an omega-7 as well. Um, There is a herb called eyebright, and for some people that can work well, but for some people it just doesn't. It's a bit hit and miss, Patricia. 
So you, if you're getting eye bright, it's good to maybe get it mixed in as well with other things that are good for the health of the eye, like lutein and lycopene. And these are the pigments that keep our the cells in our eyes very healthy. And again, specifically the lutein for macular degeneration is very good. And I think if you've got dry eye, you may or may not be at increased risk of macular degeneration, but definitely nourishing the whole eye as opposed to just trying to keep it hydrated with a spray is the way to go. So give that a go. And then the last thing I would suggest is very simple, which is at night time, go to bed with two chamomile tea bags that have been soaked and let kind of absorb a lot of boiling water and just put them over your eyes and let them sit on your eyes for at least 20 minutes. And it's very, very, very soothing at night time for dry eyes. Okay, well done. And it must be really annoying to have um, dry eyes. Okay, hi, Annalise. What's the best natural remedy for somebody suffering from anxiety and teeth grinding? Okay, so there are lots of things that can help with anxiety naturally. Um, And teeth grinding would be typically, like a lot of people would have it, whether or not they're anxious at night. And the best thing for that actually is just to use the the mouth guard to protect the teeth. But a couple of things that could help for sure, especially going to sleep at night. The first thing I'd recommend, I think probably there, is the valerian. Because valerian actually is a typical one used for sleep and relaxation. It just brings down all the stress hormones in the body. But it actually does have some muscle relaxing benefits as well. So that could be very good for the muscles in the jaw. And you could get that on its own as a tincture um, and take it before sleep. Or you can get it as part of a kind of sleep remedy. Like it's definitely part of the one that we feel works the best for our customers, which is the NHP Advanced Sleep Support. And that has other things in there that can help with anxiety, like hops and passiflora and lemon balm and chamomile. So all of these things help with stress and anxiety. They really basically all they do is kind of manage the stress hormones. So they work in the day to keep you feeling less anxious, but they work at night to stop the busy body, busy brain. And then two things I'd recommend then in the day in terms of long-term support. The first one is something called ashwagandha, which is a great herb for any type of anxiety, whether it's stress-related, whether it's um, low mood-related, whether it's exam-related, whether it's temporary, whether it's long-term. It can work really, really well just to improve your ability to cope. So you can basically take on a lot more without feeling anxious. And that's a good one for long term, but it takes a while to kick in. And then you should definitely add to that something that works in the short term. So what you're looking there at is L-theanine, lemon balm is a great one, and Viridian do a lovely supplement that has both of those in it. Uh, Maconta do a supplement with L-theanine and L-ornithine and some of the B vitamins in there. And that's another lovely one to take during the day. And then we also get great feedback on one which is called Resilience. And it exactly does that. It just improves your resilience. Um, and that's by a company called Nutri-Advanced. So you could try a combo of those and see can you minimise anxiety during the day as okay. well. Well done. You got through the slot without coughing. I'm yeah. impressed. We'll talk Thanks. next week, Annalise. Thank you for Thank that. Annalise Giselle, Health Hub, Times Square and Balancolic. Her website is healthhubstore.com and she'll put up as heard on the radio later on today. And Anne was listening to Sandra talking about the people who turned up to pull the beetroot and said there are still a lot of wonderful people out there. I'm absolutely delighted for Joe's Farm Crisps and Sandra and fair play to all the volunteers. That's where I leave you for today. Uh, thanks to Bernie for producing Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.